Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Nance, self-pres, social, sexual blind, three-wing two, with 371 trifix, and ENTP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. Hello, friends. I am so excited because I have met someone whose brain I am completely fascinated by. He is an author of The Neurobiology of the Enneagram, which was just released within the last month. And this is, I'm going to see if I get the name right, Saleh Melander. How did I do? Yes, great. Oh, wonderful. Correct. So, yeah. yeah. So, Saleh, Saleh is dialing in from Sweden. Um, he has such an interesting background. He is Palestinian and was born in Jerusalem. He then spent time in Jordan and ultimately went to Sweden because his heritage is half Palestinian and half Swedish. So he is a medical doctor. He has finished his MD, um, is still deciding what residency and uh, specialty direction he's going to take, but he is really interested in the neurobiology of the Enneagram, which is something that has fascinated me for such a long time. The other thing that I am so excited about is that he is also into Myers-Briggs, which you listeners know I like to pull out of everybody that I speak with, and he is an INTP. And the ENTP-INTP pairing is a lot of fun for me because we have the same top four cognitive functions, but they just express themselves in a different order. So I think that there's a lot of compatibility in this pairing. And Saleh is a 531 trifix, and he identifies as sexual dominant. And I also love that we share two points in our trifix, the three and the one. And we were just talking about how uh, the three drives us to do our work, and the one really drives us to perfect it and to get clarity and to go into the nuance. And for those of you who know Myers-Briggs, this is also the introverted thinking function, which really loves making its way towards clarity. So um, without further ado, I want to introduce Saleh and just, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here. Tell us a little bit about this Mm. journey and the book that is now out. And it just came out. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. It came out uh, the 25th of October. Mm, That's wonderful. How long have you been working on it? Well, I um, I started working on it in February this uh, this year, yeah. and uh, I, when when I got the idea, I started working on it, uh, and I just worked like mad. And six months later, it was it was out. That's amazing. Because w- once I started having these ideas, it became like an avalanche. You know, it was like oh my god, insight after insight, and just ah, oh, you know, like there was there was a sense of urgency in in writing this book. That's it amazing. It came from, from within. I don't know. Well, I would say it comes from source. I personally believe yeah. that like when we get yeah. inspired in that way, there's a saying about dreams not being what you do when you're asleep, but that your dreams yeah, yeah. Like, keep you from sleeping. It's something like this. And I have these moments where I just wake up in the night and I have to yeah. write. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Wow. That, that, because that was exactly what happened uh, now d- d- during the summer when, when the writing was the most intense. So I, I would wake up like four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning. I was like, I have to write. I have to write. And it just, I'm like, well, where is this coming from? I'm not usually like this. Yeah. But that's yeah. awesome. I love that. When did you learn about the Enneagram? 
Um, well, it was maybe six years ago. I was in a therapy group, kind of, uh, who, who were exploring different spiritual stuff. And then the, the, the teacher there, he introduced the Enneagram to us. And at once I became fascinated. And I was like, wow, what is this? I want to learn more. And in the beginning, I read the different type descriptions and I said, oh, I'm a, I think I'm a one and a three and a four and a five and a seven. So no six, uh, no yes. eight, no nine, no two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But so I, I started going into the, these descriptions more and more and, and, and they really made me understand myself and others. And they also made me understand that I am not the only person with these particular issues, like I thought, you know, like I, there's a tendency, I was maybe especially among, among introverted people to believe that your issues, you know, you're the only one with these issues in the world. But when and what you kind read, of issues were they? Do you mind sharing? We can always edit it like, out. If you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't really know. I, I don't really know what to say in this regard. Well, and you're my first it's, five, uh, so I'm so excited. Really? It's very hard to get a point five to come on a podcast interview. Well, it's even harder to get a point five to talk about their issues. <laughs> exactly. That's why I thought I'd go diving in and see if what I could pull out. Maybe it will come during the course of the conversation. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I, can I um, just make a guess at what yeah. I would imagine it is like for fives? Um, being yeah. part of the head center mm-hmm. and being introverted and specifically mm-hmm. your sexual dominance. So my understanding of sexual fives is that there's this real push-pull between wanting to be out in the world, but also wanting to hold your energy for yourself and that feeling like there's some this exhaustion. So there's a lot of tension because there's a part of you that's pushing out and a part of you that's pushing in. And I would that imagine that that can manifest as some anxiety. I mean, it, there's definitely some sort of ambivalent tension between the exhibitionistic uh, character of the sexual instincts and the withdrawal of the type five pattern. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there is this kind of, you know, alternating back and forth, you know, like the sexual five showing him or herself to the world and then retreating and then showing again and retreating and mm-hmm. so on. Totally makes sense. Yeah. 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 And so when did yeah, you learn about the instincts? Did they teach you that when you were learning the Enneagram or did that come later? That came later. Um, and and at the beginning, you know, like I learned about the instincts in, in the classical context, you know, that they are, that they are subtypes. But then recently I started, uh, you know, learning more about Riso and Hudson's new perspectives on, on instincts that they are not subtypes. They are as fundamental as the nine types. And this is something that I expound upon in my book and elaborate more on. And I show that this is in fact the case. And we have uh, a neurobiological model to that also indicates this. And you really like John Lukovic's interpretation of the instinctual drives as well. Is that true? Yes, I do. I do. And, and I use both uh, Russ Hudson's and John Lukovic's descriptions of the instincts and I make and, and and I and I use them to show how much the instinctual drives correlate to um, certain brain networks. Let's please talk about that because this podcast right, originated with it. John because we are very passionate about clarifying mm. the instincts. And as a medical doctor yeah. and specifically one that works in craving and addiction and mm-hmm. 
all of you know anxiety and stress-related illnesses, it's so obvious to me that there is a biological basis happening in yeah. the brain. And mm -hmm. so when I saw your book and when I started exchanging some messages with you about it, I was just like, oh, so excited because I haven't read your book yet and I'm going to. Yeah. And the point of this podcast is to get everybody mm. as excited as I am to go out and suck up all this information that you've been noodling on. So please tell us about the instincts and where they show up in the brain. All right. So so, so let me first talk about um, the Enneagram and the brain and how my interest began that. Mm -hmm. And then we can move on to the, to, to the instincts. So like, since I'm also a medical doctor, I, you know, naturally I became curious about how the Enneagram relates to the brain. And I mean, if the, if the Enneagram is an accurate description of personality, which from our personal experience, we, we, we know that it is because it it tends to, you know, score right every time it does, it, it doesn't fail in, in describing these different patterns of personality, but if this is the case, then it ought to have a basis in the neurobiology of the brain. Because where is the personality coming from, if not from the brain? So in order to identify where, um, we have to ask ourselves, like, the, 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 the Enneagram type patterns. What is the nature of the Enneagram type pattern? What is it exactly that they are a description of? So each of the Enneagram triads they are based in a primary negative emotions so for the head triad it is fear for the body triad it is anger and for the heart triad it is grief and we we often say shame for the high triad uh, heart triad but several enneagram teachers and i am in agreement with them believe it is grief because grief is more primary than shame and shame is I a believe secondary it's grief emotion. as well like just yeah, as a point yeah. three and as i've been yeah. doing my healing work and most threes yeah. that i talk to we cry every day. Like there is mm -hmm. all of this stuff that we take into our hearts. Wow. And it's been yeah. so like shut down for such a long yeah. time that as yeah. I've been doing my growth work and actually know how to go into the heart, it's just like, yeah. oh, here are the tears. Like they almost don't even affect, I mean, they always affect me. I'm just like, oh, here it is. You know, here's my wow. heart. Yeah. And yeah. the tears just flow. And most of the threes that I know, we... um are no you know that's, to that that, that's that's just beautiful like like you know be, 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 because threes are are often seen as types that are disconnected from from, from their emotions to, to so so to well, we are for a very so long to, time yeah but yeah like, like the image that that you just uh, described i know it, it's touching well and for me the image of the phoenix is mm -hmm. resonates with me very very strongly and i don't know mm -hmm. if the, you know that the phoenix heals with their tears Oh yeah, that's true. That's yeah. True. And so for me as a medical doctor, as I'm making this transition into my new line of work as yeah. more of a psycho-spiritual yeah. doctor that pulls in the physical health of the brain and the body as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh my God, I cry for my my people like all the no. time. And yeah. you know, when I'm there with them, mm -hmm. I, there's a this capacity that I am developing to hold space, which I yeah. feel comes from the forewing. Like I can mm. actually go into that deep sadness with people and help them yeah. connect with their own place of mourning. Mm -hmm. And then the way that I describe it is that I feel like a crucible where I take their mm. pain and I pull it inside and it metabolizes inside of my heart. And what comes out is, to me, it feels gold. And it's mm -hmm. this like mm -hmm. beautiful way of holding something 
that is so, so challenging. And there, okay. there's okay. something about the part of the three that feels like I'm wired to do this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know mm-hmm. if all threes who end up in healing works uh, feel this way. I'm a mm-hmm. three with a two wing, actually. So there's that helper yeah. energetic vibe. And I'm much more sunny and positive than a three mm-hmm. with a four mm-hmm. wing. But I mm-hmm. really um, appreciate going to the depths with my four and five friends. It feels yeah. really authentic and very real. So, yeah. And that's what grief allows one to do. Like grief is sort of an invitation into those depths. Mm, thank but you. So, so where so, is that in the um, brain? Yeah. So 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 well, what I, what I was saying was that fear, anger, and grief—they mm-hmm. are all in, in emotions. Yeah. And and also each enneagram type patterns is associated with a passion, and the yeah. passions they are emotional reactions. Yeah. So therefore, the enneagram of personality it can be seen as a description of different emotional patterns. Cool. Okay. And the brain area responsible for emotions is the limbic system. So that was my first mm. line of reasoning. That's mm-hmm. the limbic system. So maybe that is where we need to look. So so I looked at some of the previous stuff made on the possible neuroscientific correlations with the Enneagram, but you know, they didn't really ring true. But then I came across an article uh, written by a medical doctor uh, who's called Jack Killen. And uh, he's been having this ongoing collaboration with uh, Dan Siegel, uh, David Daniels, and uh, Laura Baker and Denise Daniels. And uh, in this article, he correlated the head, heart, and anger triads to primary brain networks, which are called the fear system, the rage system, and the grief system. Wow. Okay. And all of them are located in the um, regions of the upper brainstem and the limbic system. Okay. So when I read this, I thought, okay, this is interesting. And th- this, is, this is based in the principles of what is known as affective neuroscience. And affective neuroscience, it is a study of emotions in the brain. Um, and here there was a prominent neuroscience, a neuroscientist. He was called uh, Jak Panksep. Oh, I love Jak Panksep. Yes, yes. yes. He's and just, do you know Sarah Payton? This guy's a genius. Uh, Do you know Sarah Payton? So Sarah, I am actually finishing her resonant healing program. And Uh Sarah Payton is a disciple of Yak Pengsep. And she's written a couple books. One is Your Resonant Self and the other is Your Mm -hmm. Resonant Self Workbook. And she Mm -hmm. basically has expanded on Yak Pengsep's work and has added a disgust circuit in addition to the other seven circuits, which are rage, fear, uh, panic, grief, care sexuality, play, and seeking. Yes, yes, yes. And has exercises on how to work and heal blockages in these circuits, places where we get tripped up or stuck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and well, I have to read that book then. But so like what you you just said, uh, Jak Pangsep, he found that there are seven primary emotional networks in the brain. And let's just please say eight, because I I love disgust. (laughs) So... Fear, uh, as you said, fear, rage, grief, seeking, lust, care, and play. And maybe disgust. We'll, we'll, see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll argue about and, that later. All right. And uh, so, so, so each of them, th- these, these networks, they produce um, primary emotional responses. 
And well, can I add are, one more thing before yeah. I, I, and you can tell me if my extroverted yes. intuition is making you crazy because I keep interrupting your beautiful <laughs> no, introverted fine, fine. thinking flow. I was talking with Deborah Uten and I was trying to get her all excited mm. about the eight emotional circuits. And she said, right. but you know, there's nine because there's always nine. Um, and so that okay. got my brain working. So I'm just plopping that into your head center. What's, what's the yeah. ninth one? Then? I don't know. I don't know. But uh -huh. I think we need to just consider it. I just wanted to name that okay. because maybe if anybody has an idea, then send me at contact at enneagramblindspot.com. I, I want to think about this because it actually got me going and wondering, could there be a ninth? I don't know. Okay, go ahead. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. So, so anyways, th these, these primary emotional brain networks, they, they, they are, they are inborn. We are born with them and they are therefore instinctual. So they don't need to be learned and, and they are common to all m mammals. So like th these are emotional networks that you find in a mouse, in a llama, in a cow, you know, they're all there. So are all the Enneagram types also in animals? Because when I hear you say they're inborn, mm. a lot of people think we're born with our Enneagram type and mm -hmm. that we're born with our instinctual stack. And so when I'm hearing you talk about these three emotional circuits, that sounds like the oh. Enneagram type you're born with. Or are you saying that that's actually the instinctual drives? Well, that's the next thing that I want to say. Okay. And uh, okay, so yeah, let's let let's keep I'm that sorry. question. Okay, All right, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so anyway, so the, the fear system it creates the primary emotion of fear. The rage system creates the primary emotion of rage or anger. The grief system. It creates the primary emotion of grief. Now, these are the negative emotional systems, which means that they are they 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 make us avert. They are aversive, so they motivate us to move away from a stimulus or a situation. Mm -hmm. The other four emotional systems they are called the positive emotional systems, and they motivate us to move toward a stimulus or a situation. And these are seeking, lust, care, and play. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about each of these systems, and then I'll say exactly how they fit into the context of the Enneagram. So the seeking system, it generates uh, the primary emotion of excitement, and it motivates the, the, the animal or the human to seek out resources necessary for survival, so such as food and shelter. And then we have the lust system, which generates sexual arousal, and that motivates the animal to, to reproduce and, and mate and find a partner. And then we have the care system, and that generates um, a, a, the motion of affection, and um, it, it motivates uh, these social bonds between animals uh, who are of the same species, and, and especially between a parent and a child. And then we have the play system, which gives the emotion of joy. And, and it's, it's kind of a social joy. And it's, it's a behavior, creates these behaviors of playfulness that can be, that, that, that can be seen in young animals when they, when, when they play. You know, like young animals, they, 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 they wrestle, they play, they pin each other down. And this play behavior is really important so that they can interact with other animals and learn social, uh, social skills. Yeah. And you probably know this from before. Well, you've, when you've, I was hearing you talk, these. like when I hear about the seeking circuit, you know, we all get the seeking circuit turned on, but it gets turned on by different things. So mm -hmm. can I just take a, a turn around the wheel and mm -hmm. name what I, I think turns on the different types? Because I've been thinking about this for a little while, and I'm just curious what it, how it'll sound if I ping off of you. All right. Okay. Like ones, 
Their seeking circuit gets activated when they notice an imperfection or something that's out of place or that's something that's not right. That activates their seeking circuit. Mm -hmm. Twos get their seeking circuit activated when they sense a relational need. Somebody is needing something. They move in to do something about it. Well, the... You're going to put yeah. it in care circuit? Because care well, and seeking, I think, move together in that case. Well, see, yeah, of, 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 of course, those Enneagram patterns can activate the seeking circuit. But mm -hmm. only some only some of the types. And by types, I don't mean like, like the Enneagram types. Are you talking about types. three, seven, and eight, like the assertive types? Because no, they seem no. to have hyperactive seeking circuits. Like they have a harder time turning it down. Well, then let me okay. just get right to it and 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 say and and say what what exactly what it was that I found. Yes, that, please, please. That these circuits correspond. I can't to. wait. My seeking right, circuit's are, going are, crazy. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> so, so in 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 Jack Killen's article, he correlated the fear, rage, and grief systems with the three triads. Okay. You know, the, the, the fear system with the head triad, the rage system with a with the body triad and the grief system with the with, with the heart triad. Uh-huh. But Jack Killen didn't really go into the positive emotional systems of okay. seeking lust, care, and play. Okay. So that is something that I ask myself, like, what are these positive emotional systems correlated to? Yeah. I mean, if 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 the fear, rage, and grief systems, if they correlate to to certain aspects of the personality, then surely the positive emotional systems that they also correlate to some other aspects of the personality. Okay. So I looked at them, looked yeah. at these positive emotional systems, and then I looked at the at the Enneagram. Yeah. Then back at the positive emotional systems and then back at the Enneagram. And and then it dawned on me, it's like the instinctual drives. Okay. The positive emotional systems correlate to the instinctual drives. Okay. So I was like, oh my God. Like when I realized it, it suddenly became so. But there's three instinctual and drives and four positive systems. So tell me how you turn four into three. Exactly. So the seeking system correlates to the self-preservation instinct. Okay. The the lust system correlates to the sexual instinct. Okay. And the care and play system, both of them correlate to the social instinct. Okay. And so, so uh, when I realized this, I'm like, oh my god, I I've just found the neurobiological basis of the three instincts. Yeah. And that is when I really decided, okay, I have to write this book yeah, yeah, and yeah. try to communicate, you know, about these correlations. And I love uh, that. yeah, and I set to work and six months later, the neurobiology of the Enneagram was out. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. effect, effective neuroscience is an area that has really lit me up as well. I think all mm. of us that identify as interpersonal neurobiologists yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the effect of neuroscience is such an important part of it. And this is one of the reasons why resonant healing um, mm -hmm. so strongly appeals to me, because it's really about how do we get out of our left hemisphere and into yeah. more of the right hemispheric functions? Yeah, because yeah. oftentimes we, you know, we end up going unconscious when we get trapped in the get things done brain. And uh -huh. it's the right hemisphere that enables us to make more meaning and more mm -hmm. see it in a more gestalt kind of global way without yeah. getting so narrowly focused into the task yeah. at hand or what has captured our attention, I would say. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I haven't looked at it from that, uh, from that angle, but of course. It's yeah. Possible. Well, that's really cool. I love that. That's so, okay. So part of your book, when we read it, 
is this the is this the whole book talking about um these seven circuits well you know and oh. you can you can write it you can write an addendum and add my disgust circuit next year how about that um, <laughs> <All right>. yeah, <laughs> after sure. i convince you yeah but um Maybe. yeah these seven circuits and how they show up with the three centers as well as the three instincts mm-hmm. is this the focus of the book or is there even more because you could write there easily is... a whole book on that this is chapter four of the book, okay. but then there's also chapter two, three, and five, and they oh, and they each preview. deal with something else. What do they deal with? Well, chapter two, it talks about, um, it really tries to lay out some clear d- d- definitions for minds, personality, emotion, instincts, like what do we mean by these terms nice. in general, and how yeah. do they relate to each other, and I put them into a unified map okay. where, I, where I explain that you know, the instinct and emotion, like the difference between them and what their overlap is and so mm-hmm. on. Um, chapter three. Can I pause you on chapter two yes. before we go to chapter yes. three? Um, yes. Are you familiar with Marshall Rosenberg's work in nonviolent communication? No. Okay. So one of the things that my point one energy likes to get fired up about mm-hmm. is the misuse of the term emotion and feeling. Do yes, you talk about exactly. that at all? Uh, I don't talk about that, but because mm-hmm. um, I think is, we should use emotion. Important. Yeah, I think we should use emotion to talk about the circuits that Yak Pengsep yes. and Sarah Payton have identified. And yeah. so this is how I've been framing it out. And I'm curious if you came to the same conclusion that the instinctual drives are what fire first. You know, they they mm-hmm. um, there's all this stimuli that we're taking in both internally and externally that is activating mm-hmm. the instinctual drives. And once yeah. the instinct becomes activated in an unconscious way, the emotional circuits will also activate because this is all happening yeah. in those lower brainstem regions and in the limbic mm-hmm. system, which is the oldest part of the brain. For listeners that are not as familiar with how the brain has developed, the brainstem and the limbic system is actually the first part of the brain that developed. We have this even back in reptiles. Um, mm-hmm. It's where mm-hmm. um, the survival pathways have existed. Now, mammals actually act habitually. So Mm -hmm. the difference between all the other animals on the planet and mammals is this is why you can train your dog to walk next to you or to do things for Mm -hmm. treats, you know, where it's Pavlovian in some way. We're going to do the things that give us a positive reward, and we're going to stop doing the things that give us a negative reward. And then what humans have that other mammals don't have is the prefrontal cortex, which gives Mm -hmm. us the ability to watch these different drives as they're happening and actually inhibit. So when I take my dog to the park and you know, if he saw a female dog in heat, there's only one behavior mm-hmm. that he's going to start exhibiting, and he doesn't yeah. care if this is socially appropriate or not. And exactly. yet humans experience sexual desire all the time, and yet we don't act on it. In fact, we have so many rules about how we do and don't act yes. in this yes. that it's created a lot of stress in our society in general. Well, yes, exactly. And and that is something which Panksepp talks about. He maps out three different layers or levels of uh, functional brain hierarchy. So there's the primary process level, secondary, and the tertiary. Okay. And the tertiary process level that controls the primary emotions. Mm. So, the, so these primary emotions, they are being controlled by the tertiary process level, which is in the neocortex. Yeah. And, um, and that is what, what distinguishes, distinguishes humans mm-hmm. or, or other animals of, 
of of high high intelligence that they have a very sophisticated tertiary process mm. keeps us civilized yeah or uncivilized Sometimes. you know exactly yeah. yeah no excellent yeah. nuance thank you yeah, yeah. Mm. but so 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 these the so these seven systems yes. so so now the listener may be asking, so how does the seeking system correspond to the self-preservation instinct? Like, Wait, can I pause back it up though? Yeah. Because I had named how instincts cause the emotional circuits to activate. And then once oh, yes. the emotional circuits activate, we're going to have a variety of body sensations that are occurring mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the activation of instinctual drive and emotional circuit. These yeah. sensations yeah. now get the brain activated mm-hmm. so that the brain is now having thoughts. Are these sensations yeah. that are happening good or bad? Is the person or the object that is stimulating them? Am I happy about this or you know, am I liking or not liking it? And then we create narrative or story. And it's the narrative or the story mm. that actually generates the feelings that we now have. And the feelings are something that we actually have some uh, choice around if we're present. Mm. Because I can look at what is the story that I'm telling myself about this situation And Russ Hudson has just been teaching me about the difference of personal truth, which Mm -hmm. is how I view it. You know, I think there are eight circuits. Maybe you think there are seven, but my personal truth (laughs) is that there's eight. There's relative truth. When I'm hanging Uh out with Sarah Payton in my resident healing clan, we all Uh agree there are eight circuits, but that's relative truth because there's a group of us that believe it, but there'll be a group of people that are going to have a different opinion. And then Mm -hmm. the holy idea at point eight, which is holy truth is Mm -hmm. always containing an element of mystery. And we're acknowledging that, you know, we don't really know. And yet, when holy truth is online, Mm -hmm. there's a felt sense of knowing that really is inarguable. And yet there's Mm -hmm. no need to argue about it. Yeah, I can see that. And that's the non-dual way to hold truth, I would say. Interesting. So so, so you're sort of... um... You're talking about sort of a hierarchy of truth, mm-hmm. all yeah. from the personal to the totally objective, which is yeah. holy truth. And that is, well, yeah, I mean, that, that's what the, the holy three. ideas are. They, they, yeah. are, they, are they, they are objective views about reality. Yeah, because whenever we get stuck in the truth, you know, there's going mm. to be polarity. You know, you've yeah. got a right and you've got a wrong and you've got an opinion mm. about it. So mm. what is it mm. that can hold both of these elements within something? higher yeah hmm. yeah i can see that fun so you're pla- so you're, you're placing feeling on the upper end of that hierarchy so you know as a heart-centered person if i'm really swept up in a whole bunch of feelings that's not really my heart center that's the disintegrated heart center that's yes. all these feelings that i'm having related to all these narratives because i have all of these personal and relative truths that yep. get me going So if I can presence what's happening inside of me when I'm having a wide variety of feelings, which there's so many feeling words, when we start to, Mm -hmm. you can Google nonviolent communication and list of feelings words, and it's really the color palette that we have for Mm -hmm. actually describing to another person, this is my inner experience. But when Mm -hmm. we're talking about feelings, we're actually, we can't have feelings without narrative. So if we shift the narrative, we can actually shift our feelings. Yes. yes. But the emotional circuits are going to happen unconsciously. We just have to learn how to not stay stuck in one of these emotional circuits. And as opposed to, um, they're all going to come. 
Like if you are not experiencing one of these eight emotional circuits, it means that you're cut off from it. There's trauma because that emotional circuit was not welcome. So you've learned how to extinguish it very quickly that you don't even sense it. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So you were going to say about the self-preservation instinct and. Uh, Yeah. First, we have the the, fir- the first correlation, and that is between the seeking system and the self-preservation instinct. Okay. Now, the, the seeking system, it, it motivates um, animals and humans to seek out resources necessary for survival. Okay. So it, it is this um, inquisitive, um, exploratory uh, behavior that it pushes um, the individual's it, it drives them forward to locate food, shelter, and other uh, resources that are n- necessary mm-hmm. uh, for their survival. And so here, that, that, does this sound familiar to, um, I mean, this is the self-preservation instincts. The, the, well, I, the, this... it sounds, so you're going to get a little pushback from me because like I said, okay. though, my seeking circuit often becomes active when my heart-centered needs are not being met. So my seeking circuit activates mm-hmm. whenever I have an unmet need because I want to try to meet that need. And so exactly. my seeking and circuit turns on, but it's not just a staying alive need because as a heart-centered person, a lot yes. of my stuff is around abandonment and like a lot of the social instinctual needs. And exactly. so I can definitely, like, look, I found but you because of my but, seeking but circuit. your dominant instinctual drive is self-preservation, right? Yes. Yes. So somebody who is who is has a dominant sexual instinct uh-huh. might have the lust system activated, and yeah. that is what is driving them. So this is the thing that I'm I'm trying to yeah I see the difference. Uh, so you're saying yeah. that um, okay, and maybe that I'm not understanding because in my un- so my understanding is that the seeking circuit runs off of dopamine, which is the reward hormone. That is true. That okay. is true. So, so if if, yeah. if we look at the instinctual drive, if, right. if we look at instinctual drives and we put them under the microscope and mm-hmm. and we look at them apart and separately from from the nine type patterns for the minute, and 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 this is the new view that that Russ Hudson and and Don Riso mm-hmm. introduced. They say, okay, the instincts are separate. We need to look at them yes. um, from a separate point of view. And so this this is what I what I did in the book. Okay. And I looked at the self-preservation instinct and I saw that it correlates to the seeking system because both are concerned with basic survival, okay. uh, bodily well-being, mm-hmm. um, the acquisition of resources, mm-hmm. uh, the motivation to fulfill tasks and goals, mm-hmm. um, an awareness of the body, uh, feeling the passage of time. There's so many things that that are that just fit together. And when I read through the description, I was like, oh my God, it, it, it just it just makes sense. They they are they're the same thing. Yeah. So this means that the self-preservation instincts, you know, that it that it could emerge from the seeking system. And the seeking system is located in the midbrain and limbic system. Okay. And specifically in the areas of the periaqueductal gray, the hypothalamus, the ventral mm-hmm. tegmental area, uh, the, the nucleus accumbens. And this means that these are the places where the seek, where the self-preservation instinct could arise from. Okay. Yeah. I'm tracking. That is the first correlation. That 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 is the first correlation. And then the second one is between the lust system and the sexual instincts. So okay. if we draw comparisons between the sexual instinct and the lust system, this I mean, it's evident that the similarity, you know, both are concerned with with uh, sexuality, with uh, attraction. 
with the uh, courtship and court and the act of you know courtship display mm-hmm. so so in the same way as the correlation you know with the self-preservation seeking so the sexual instinct it may mm-hmm. emerge from the lust system which mm-hmm. is also located in these in, in these regions of the midbrain and limbic system and specifically in the hypothalamus and the amygdala and the periaqueductal brain okay yeah now take me to social the social instinct. So the social instinct corresponds to two systems. The first uh-huh. one is the play system. And it might not ring true. It, it, it might not be as apparent as sexual instinct and lust system. But this is actually the most striking similarity. Like here, I found the most similarities between the social instinct and the play system. Mm-hmm. So what, what the play system does it is that it promotes social interactions between in individuals so it's this kind of friendly interacting enjoying kind of character um the, the place system it stimulates playfulness and laughter and and it's especially active during childhood so it's it's what makes them you know these youngsters engage in fun and and, and playful activities yeah and which, which they do as part of a social bonding thing and this is actually how how young mammals and humans this is how they learn social skills yeah. and this is how they learn their place in the social hierarchy so this corresponds to the social instinct like both the social instinct and the play system both of them are concerned with communication cooperation between different between individuals yeah. participating in different act, activities together the act of uh, reciprocity you know i do this you do that Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, another point of similarity is the social hierarchy. You know, it is it, it, social instinct is concerned with social hierarchy. Likewise, the play system is also it's it's what teaches an animal to know their place within the social hierarchy. Yeah, yeah. And and you, you know, like even things about you know the sense of belonging and, uh, for example, empathy between individuals. But, but both of these things, Panksa, he suggests that they they are made possible by the play system and this is and this is also a point of correlation with the social instinct yeah and you know like if you yeah well i was just going to share one of the things that i find very interesting about these systems is that they all run off of different brain chemicals as well did you look into that at all yes i did and um that is most apparent um when it comes to the care system and the seeking system. So and, tell me and, and the, the care. Yeah, so seeking system, we talked about it running off of we dopamine. We talked about yeah. dopamine, exactly. And, and this so, is what yeah. the, the, the brain chemical that, that gets you motivated to, mm-hmm. yes, I want to do this, I want to do that. And that, yep. and, and, and that can be linked to the, to the industriousness of the self-preservation instinct. You know, the self-preservation instinct, when, it, when, when you feel that drive, like, yeah, I got to, I got to get my stuff together. I got to get things going, achieve set goals. Yeah. Yeah. It enables you, as you a self-preservation to grow and three, build. I, I, yeah. The self-preservation three must be the most in, industrious of all types. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm yeah. quite industrious. When people look at my CV, they're like, yeah. how the hell did you do all that? And I'm like, I'm a self-preservation <laughs> three. That's just what we I can do, you know? Yeah. And plus yeah. with four kids, you know, as a single mom. So yeah, it's, um, we do, we're, we're very good at being industrious, I would say. Yeah. 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 So um, what about the so, care circuit? What about the ke- brain well, chemicals with that? You were going to name something. Right. So the care system is it's, it's really interesting because mm-hmm. the, the, the care system, 
it it evokes it evokes uh, emotions of nurturance and it it uh, it creates caring behaviors mm-hmm. and especially it takes expression in uh, the parent child relationship mm-hmm. and it 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 helps um ensure that the children are properly taken care of it mm-hmm. motivates the mother for example to to take care of her children because she loves them she feels affection for them mm-hmm. and so this is something which aids in their survival and this is how the care system came into being uh, and and also but besides the the, the, the mother child relationship it also promotes other social bonds you know and the chemicals it runs off of specifically are oxytocin and the endogenous exactly. opioids so exactly. these are the hormones that give us that feel-good system in the body. And this is why the addictions that happen when people are unable to establish caring bonds tend Mm -hmm. to be with opioids because the endogenous opioids are run the system. Similarly, what happens when we're not experiencing care? Well, that Mm -hmm. will often activate the panic grief circuit because I don't have any people around me who care. So when the panic grief circuit it also runs off of oxytocin and endogenous opioids, but now we add cortisol, which is the stress hormone. And the stress yes, is there yes. because suddenly I am not, you know, there's a stimulus in my environment. Like I'm the little kid lost in the mall and I can't find mm-hmm. my mom. Mm-hmm. So now yeah, cortisol yeah. gets activated. And this is also why um, grief is actually one of the main causes of the opioid addiction that we have, and it's loneliness. And this is why when we're working with addicts, one of the number one things that we have have to address is Mm. how separate they feel from the collective and how they've often, as a result of the behaviors of their addiction, may not have people that trust them enough to allow them to establish these caring bonds So when we actually understand what's at the bottom of this, and Gabor Mate, I think, has also um, described how important it is to address loneliness if we want to also address the opioid addiction. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So and 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 there's an there's a very very strong strong connection between the the grief system and the care system. It's kind of the, Mm -hmm. the, the 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 care system is in a sense there to to appease the infant's grief system. So yes. there is there's an interplay between these two systems in the mother and the child. And you know this brings me to attachment issues and not attachment as the 3 6 and 9 in the enneagram but rather um anxious versus avoidant versus disorganized yeah, yeah. attachment because mm-hmm. we often develop these behaviors in response to the panic grief circuit becoming activated. So within Mm. those ages of zero to three, there are things that happen where the mother either is absent from the child or the mother is missing a cue from the child or isn't like attuned emotionally. And this is actually what activates panic grief in the child that's zero to three that starts to formulate a lot of our object relations. And this is what Mm -hmm. we carry into our adult relationships because when we're activating um, an intimate relationship based off the sexual instinct, really that's about achieving sexual union. Whereas when we enter a more mature relationship, we need to also have a healthy instinctual, con- a social instinctual connection with our romantic mm. partner, or you're not going to yeah. do marriage very well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And you know, because the sexuality circuit 
is runoff of the sex steroids, so estrogen and testosterone, as well as vasopressin, as well as oxytocin. So there's that element of the care circuit there. Um, After orgasm, there's oxytocin release, which is why there's often that feeling of attachment and care after an excellent sexual experience. But what drives (laughs) it initially is the steroids and the vasopressin, which is necessary for orgasm, because that has to do with blood vessel dilation. That's interesting, actually, because... um... It's, it's believed that the care system, it evolved from the lust system or originally. Absolutely. That, 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 the, that the origin of the care system is the lust system. And I so love that. In, 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 in connecting this to the Enneagram, a possible inference from these correlations could be that the social instinct originally evolved from the sexual instinct. Yes. And I think so, most of us believe that's yeah. true, that first it was self-preservation because you have to stay alive. But then we had a bunch of single cellular organisms. And yes. so when these single cellular organisms started to exchange genetic material, mm-hmm. this was the first mm-hmm. manifestation of the sexual instinct because it was this power of the sexual instinct that drove the world to say, we need change and creativity and a new organism here. And once you're exchanging DNA and genetic material, this is what spurred evolution. And so out of evolution, we would have the care circuit evolve because as mammals came on board, which is really the first, uh, you know, the the care circuit is most clearly expressed in mammals, I would say. You can see it in other organisms, but it really comes online with mammals and humans have taken it to a whole new level, I would say. Yeah, like reptiles, they they don't really have uh, a very developed care system if they have a care system at all. Right. Because you know, if 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 you look at reptile mothers, they just you know they lay their eggs and then they just leave. So there is yep. not this nurturing, caring things, mm-hmm. uh, as as opposed to 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 birds, they lay eggs, but they take care of the, of of their chicks. Mm-hmm. So, but and and they do have a care system. So there, you can clearly see how how the existence of the care system it motivates the caring behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, and 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 in connection to what you said. Like that, the that the self-preservation instinct was there in 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 unicellular organisms organisms, and then the sexual instinct was evolved out of that. That is a very interesting question, and th- that is something that I've been thinking about because these brain systems they ev- evolved. I mean, the, the sexual instinct we know that it is exists in in, in reptiles, um, but does it exist earlier than that? You know, maybe in in I mean, how can we connect these brain systems? to organisms that exhibit these kind of behaviors, but they don't have a nervous system yet. And I'm not clear about this. I'm still thinking about it, but and that's a very interesting question you, you yeah. brought up. So I describe, yeah. um, and I think I got this from Russ. I don't think that I came up with this, but um, it just made sense to me that, you know, we can't have evolution without the exchange of ideas. I mean, so that's why the sexual instinct is not just about sex. Like we are totally in a sexual instinctual zone right now because we're exchanging ideas. And before we actually hit record, we were talking about our wild fantasies of using each other's strengths to promote these ideas and like, you know, come up with even more research and more knowledge about this because with your um, presence in academia and your, you know, ability to do research and and the way that you write and the way that I love to talk and connect with people and, you know, see all of these patterns, but lack that discipline or 
I don't know what it is to be in academia. You know, it's just that that when we start to recognize what we're wired for based off of our instinctual stacking, based off of our Enneagram type, it, we can really see how it's the collective that needs yeah. to come together with all of our different insights, all of our different theories and ideas. And if you look at our Jungian function, the fact that we both love introverted thinking means that yeah. we can, you know, really break down and splice out, are there seven circuits or could there be eight? And it's not personal. It's like, this is yeah, a mind yeah. exercise and yeah. um, we can, you know, play at, you know, getting attached to one of our ideas. And yet when you're operating in these fields at this level I think that what's most exciting for me is that there's still so much we don't know. And oh, it's yeah. through this oh, yeah. mixture of ideas that we're going to get off this call and start going ping, 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 and making all these new connections. So that's what yeah, I've already about. had some some ideas now when we were having this conversation. And I'm, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm trying to hold these ideas so I don't forget them at the same <laughs> time that I'm trying to communicate with you. So. Oh, don't worry. You can ask yeah. me questions again. What were you talking about here? And I'll, you know. So, yeah, oh, the, the, oh, I thought you were asking me what I was talking about. <laughs> well, the one thing I wanted to name was also the chemical yeah. associated with play. Did you look into that at all? Uh, well, I, I don't it's really. The endocannabinoids. It's the endocannabinoids. Yeah. yeah. So this yeah. is why marijuana lightens people's experience of life. You know, it, mm. it goes right to the play circuit. So this is why those who enjoy marijuana often, you know, things that you're looking at are a little cooler and music you might be listening to brings a little yeah. more joy and sensation is a little more pleasant, you know? So for yeah, people yeah. who want to augment their play circuit and reconnect with that, marijuana is the endocannabinoid that often takes people down that pathway. Now, mm -hmm. alcohol actually is present in almost all of these circuits. Like, I think, I have a theory that what alcohol does is, you know, I think it's the GABA, which mm -hmm. is inhibitory, which lessens whatever our neuroses or our anxieties around these different circuits may be so we yeah. can access them a little bit more effectively. Yeah. And my theory, as I've been talking to people about the different substances and how they impact their body, because marijuana is really interesting to me because there are certain people that actually feel more anxious with marijuana and there are some people that love it and think that it's great. Yeah. I have an observation that the superego types, the one, the two, and the six, get mm. more anxiety with marijuana, as well as sometimes the competency types. So the um, go ahead and throw five and three in there. And the reason that I think these types have less automatic access to the pleasure of marijuana is mm. because we have issues with the play circuit as well. If you think about which types have a hard time just kind of getting into hedonism and getting into play and getting into mm -hmm. um, letting go of the agenda, I think it's the competency type and the superego types that have more blockages there. Well, that's a, that's a great study. Let's try to get some funding. I know, right? 
I know. Okay, so if you yeah. have funding for research, please yeah, reach yeah. out to Saleh and I, and we have some great study ideas. There is actually one more correlation left to talk about. Please, that, please. That is between the care system and the social okay. instinct. Oh, please do that. Yeah. So b- besides being correlated to the play system, mm-hmm. the social instinct can also be correlated. Uh, no, sorry. Besides being correlated to the, to, to, yeah, to the play system, the social instinct can also be correlated to the care system. Okay. And so, so in this regard, we can say that the social instinct has two aspects. It has social care and social yeah. play. Yes. And when it comes to the care system, the similarity between the social instinct and the care system is that they are both concerned, concerned with, with caregiving, uh-huh. with empathy, and uh-huh. with intimacy. Uh-huh. And, and um, you know, according to, to, to Russ Hudson, for example, he says that the social instinct, it began with parenting. Yeah. And that the function in the first place from the social instinct, it was to take care of and nurture children. Yes. So, so those are the social instincts is, you know, among other things, it, what help, it's, it is what helps us be good parents. Yes. Um, and so here, here we can see the connection with a care system. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, in this context, a social instinct could be seen as, as also arising besides the play system, also arises from the care system, which is located in, in, in also in the midbrain. Do you believe in the blind system. spot? Do you believe yes, we have do. an instinctual blind spot? Yes, I do. Yeah, and what's yours? Social. Social, okay. And yeah. why do you say that? Because my dominant is sexual and my secondary is self-preservation, so that leaves social. But, but how I do mean, you know? How do you know that social's last? Because it's 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 not a priority. It's it's something which um, which I don't prioritize. Is that show up and, in terms um, of friendships, or is that why you decided that? Like you just it's it's just like um, like like my way of forming friendships is more in the it's it's more an approach of trying to vibe with the other person. It's not mm-hmm. really an exchange of oh how do you do how are you today oh I'm fine right. you know it's this kind of social exchange it's more like i like you let's hang out together yeah 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 i think self-pres is also yeah i'm just i'm working this out as i say it but for me as a self-pres three and i'm self-pres social Mm. sexual blind but Mm. i think that what drives me are work projects like work Mm. projects make me really excited so Mm. you know 12 years ago i started my medical practice well essence md and i was completely fired up and it was really exciting. And I was, you know, leaving a more corporate medical environment mm-hmm. and going solo with this vision of what the medical practice was going to be. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. was awesome for eight to 10 years. And then yeah. I started to get bored. Like it was there and it was what it was going to be. And I started discovering the Enneagram and all these other fields. And mm-hmm. now my work that I'm doing is this podcast and turning towards writing and turning towards teaching and these other projects. So that's why these conversations are so fun for me. It's a form of play because it's also my work and my passion. And where the social instinct comes up for me is that I do agree the primary way my social instinct expressed itself wasn't being a mother. You know, I had four children and the only thing that got me to choose not to have the primary career because my ex-husband had the primary career and I was taking the secondary seat and working part-time and raising the four children. 
mm-hmm. was the social instinct, but that actually was a real tension point for me because as a self-priced three, I no longer had the same, I had to, you know, I wanted to raise these children. That was very important to me, but it always was stealing away from my work. So there was a lot of sadness there. And the reason that I'm saying I'm sexual blind is that my passion for work has always been the easiest thing for me to connect to. Yeah. The second most important thing has been the social connections with work colleagues that also like to talk and play and do, you know, things that around interest areas that are my work, as well as, you know, taking care of my children. Like that's where my social energy goes. You know, in my community, it's really hard for me to sit with parents in the bleachers at a sporting event or something that where people are doing the social nicety thing. It's really hard for me to care. And then the sexual instinct always came, you know, after kids. So it was like work was my priority. Mm. The family was the priority. And then my partner was the priority. So now that the kids are all teenagers and they don't need me in the same way, that's why I have this bandwidth to step into this new work project that takes up a lot of energy. And it's also where I've realized that, you know, long-term committed relationships with a partner that you want to have intimacy with is going to take that attention that work and kids have often taken away from. And, you know, I think when the social... your your discovery that 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 has made you it's sort of been a discovery of the sexual instinct. Oh yeah. Um, and now I'm very curious in vibe and chemistry and attraction because wow. earlier in my life that um, as a competency type, as a point three, yes. like we have goals and objectives. So are we going to get married because this is going to work? And, you know, that whole discovery of, Ooh, like there can be a vibe, there can be chemistry that, you know, people have a certain flavor to their personality And well, let's face it, it's all based on smell, it's based on taste, it's based on things that are very inexplicable. And when you actually are tuned into those things, yes, there's a vibe when you're having a physically sexual connection, but when you're connecting through the sexual instinct in work or creativity or art or however that's manifesting, there's just a certain chemical, it works or it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And of course we can override that. You know, if we have enough social instinctual energy, like for me, if I want to work with somebody and they're showing up in a way that is just not turning me on Mm -hmm. as a competency type and as somebody who has social middle and who cares about the work, I can kind of get over the fact that they're not going to be my cup of tea for the sake of these other priorities. Whereas I think when somebody is sexual dominant, it's harder to get over a lack of chemistry for the sake of the work or for the sake of a tribe, some kind of social unit. And, you know, it could could be a sense of chemistry, not only with a person, but with with the job itself. Yeah. So if the job is not stimulating enough, then I'm I'm sorry, I'm I'm not going to be able to make the sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. It's this, it's this um, not being able to tolerate boredom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I was wired to make a lot of sacrifice for a very long time, which is why, Mm. 
in the last 10 years, yeah. my sexual instinct came online and it's brought me so much joy, so much life energy in a million different ways. And yeah, it because, feels a, because yeah. the sexual, the sexual instinct, it's about pleasure. Yes. Yes. And, and, uh, and, 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 and in these correlations that I've talked about, actually, you know, like, like since, we, since I've correlated the instinctual drives to the positive emotional systems, yeah. it means that each of these instincts are accompanied by a positive a- affect. Yeah. So the self-preservation instinct is accompanied by excitement. You know, it's that excitement and motivation of pursuing goals. Um, the sexual instinct is the sense of pleasure. It's, well, uh, the I, sensual pleasure. I so I just have to name that yeah. there are things I want to push back on you with. All right, like, go ahead. And we don't have yeah. no, but we don't have time on today. And this oh. is why we're going to do another episode. But I think okay. your book is amazing, and I can't wait to read it. And I think that you are on to so many things. And mm. because you know, I I uh, well, and I want I just want to name you're 29. I'm so curious to see how your ideas are going to be different at 39 and 49 and 59. Like, I think that we all know, at least I do, that the way I think about things continues to grow and evolve. Mm -hmm. And I'm always Mm -hmm. so curious to say, hmm, what am I going to think next year, next month, tomorrow? I mean, things for me change a lot. And this is our very first conversation that we've ever had live. And we're seeding each other's brains with like a million ideas and yeah. while I am so excited that you've written this book, I'm already hearing you say some things that I want to expand upon. And, you know, part of introverted thinking is also its accuracy, right? It's like going mm. back and revising, okay, this was the thought process that led me to this. And Absolutely. now that I have more information and more data, my conclusion might change and that's not a big deal. Yeah. And the introverted thinking, it, it wants to be challenged. Yes. In order to, to get high quality ideas and yeah. models they, they will need to be revised over and over and over again and challenged yeah. right to to test the solidity of the idea and the model yeah so if i want it to be completely in personality of my three with a two wing i'm noticing that there's this part of me that just wants to say everything you said is awesome and i agree with all of it and everybody buy mm. his book and read it like the bible you know there's yeah. like my personality yeah. wants to say that and what yeah. is authentically true is that I am so excited that you're thinking about it and that mm. I agree with probably 80% of what you're saying and there's 20% yeah. that I want to keep on in dialogue about and I'm totally willing to be changed by you and I love it if you're willing to be changed by me and that is what collaboration looks like and how I think yeah. that we continue to expand and I, I think that people who use introverted thinking are the ones who can bring clarity and understanding to a field that often is confusing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So until our next conversation, let's uh, call it a wrap for today. And I'm really excited to keep the, the dialogue going. Yeah, me too. Me too. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at contact at enneagramblindspots.com. 
I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice while SNSMD, including typing services, Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Feel free to call my office at 847-850-8185 to schedule a free consultation.